You're listening to audio from the 2022 Liturgy Collective Conference, a gathering for the promotion of rest, connection, and growth. For more information on upcoming conferences, visit liturgycollective.com. So uh, I'm sitting here with Josh Garrels, and um, Josh, you've been making music for 20 years at this point, telling introspective stories and creating unique sounds that blend elements of indie folk and hip-hop and a few others, probably. Um, I first heard you in 2011, uh, with I think probably a lot of us heard uh, your music uh, when it was much more uh, widely acclaimed, uh, Love War uh, and the Sea in Between, and you followed that with uh, a gorgeous documentary that was filmed in uh, British Columbia, uh, which I highly recommend checking out. Uh, That's called The Sea in Between. And then in 2015, uh, released an album called Home, and that charted on the Billboard 200, and that's one that's written into my mind pretty well. Uh, And then fairly recently, in 2019, you recorded an album with Isaac Wardell, who's a friend of this group here. Um, It's Chrysaline, is that? Yeah, yeah. and then uh, as well, you've sang on the Porter's Gate projects, which uh, a lot of us love as well. So... um, Josh, I know there's a lot of people in the room today and a lot of people coming tonight that your music has uh, been in the background of work and home um, and accompanying a lot of life's ups and downs. So first off, I just want to say thank you for the art. Um, I don't know if you get that often enough, but on behalf of all these folks, thank you. Um, Thanks for doing that. And thank you for uh, the concert tonight as well. I'm very excited uh, to get to hear you in that, that gorgeous space as well, to hear that. Um, so recently, you've uh, released, or your record label has released some early recordings. Um, what's it like to listen back to that part of your life? Yeah, those recordings, it's like a two-volume series, and I had to take them off the market, because early on I grew up listening to hip-hop, so I just sampled anything and everything indiscriminately and at some point realized I could be sued or you know yeah I just that was smart <laughs> yeah yeah so I took them off the market but there's something I was a, a new believer at that point and there was something um, that was really um, tender you know um, along with people writing and asking, where are these, where are these, where are these, you know? So I, I figured it was time to kind of take them out and lovingly, like, I had to, like, recreate some samples and kind of clean them up a little bit and make it so I wouldn't, you know, have litigation. Yeah. And then That's re-release them, important. you know? Important. But it was, I would, to answer your question, it was a reminder of the simplicity and joy of, of the faith. Because yeah. at that point, it's, it was... Man, it was like new life. Yeah, I feel that listening yeah. to those. Yeah. Okay. So that's great to, great to hear that background. So who were some of the influences on you at that time, musicians and other writers, Yeah, if you can remember? Um, I grew up, my dad's a music teacher. I had two older sisters. I don't know the age group of everyone in here, but it was the 90s, and they were like alternative, you know, so all their boyfriends were like skateboarders. And so through them in the other room, I grew up listening to like the Pixies and... The Smiths and, you know, all the, like, alternative music, but then started skateboarding and listened to a ton of punk rock all through middle school, high school, and then had this moment where East Coast hip-hop just made sense to me. So it was a pretty harsh transition from, like, punk rock to hip-hop for, like, the next 
three, four years, like Wu-Tang era. Um, and then I was coming into the faith, actually, and going to art school when I started listening to folk music. So Elliot Smith, Nick Drake, these were the guys that were, Ben Harper, early yeah. Ben Harper, were all really influential to me. So all that mixed together were sort of the influences that I freely kind of breathed in and breathed out in the music, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful... Um just collection of, of different sounds and feels, and uh, I'll just love listening back to that stuff. Um, is there um, a project that you would want to go back and relive the making of that, that you uh, just remember fondly, um, or maybe you understand better on this side, um, and that you would want to go back and revisit? I mean, as far as fondness goes, probably those early works, because there was no pressure to like prove anything. I don't I don't know how to put it. I remember the process being really joyful because it was just like playing with sound, you know? And then somehow it caught on. And this was before the era of like online sharing even. So it was like burning CDs and there'd be these stories of like the CD getting burnt and making it to some liberal arts college in Iowa and being burned like 600 times. And then the student organization having me out because they got to hold me through a Hotmail account <laughs> and showing up and like the schools out there. So weird stories like that that were totally unexpected. I was in my bedroom with a four-track recorder and a sampler. And so that was really special. And I think what I'm unlearning now is the, the self-imposed pressure and sometimes external pressures when you choose to um, absorb them, what those can do to you. And I like honestly sometimes pressure the work in a way that's not good. So in some ways unlearning and going back to yeah, the, the simple way of doing things, yeah. I guess, you know, yeah. yeah. So um, what, what inspires you now as a songwriter? Like, what, what, are, what are your inspirations that help you to create what you do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, like, maybe a lot of us, if, if you're a music listener, one who's, searches for sound. I've always searched for sound to match what I'm living through or feeling, you know? And when you find that new album or that artist you didn't know about, and somehow the song or songs or album they've created are able to like uh, partner with you and add a soundtrack to what you're moving through, that I'm always searching for that. You know what I mean? And honestly, sometimes when I can't find it, that's when I'm like, I'm just gonna make this, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not a, I don't think that's a prideful thing. It's just like, uh, I'm always searching. But when I find someone else who's made that, that album or that worship song that actually like connects with this moment in time, it's, it's like a gift from God. It's magical, you know what I mean? It actually like adds, somehow adds meaning and can sometimes lead you through so I, would, I wouldn't say lately it's not even necessarily like I'm really into this genre, I'm really into this artist. I'm just always searching for like, I mean, it could be a Russian choral song or it could be my kids listening to some like Seeds worship song that I would never like just roll to in the car by myself, but yet I'm doing the dishes and I'm like, yes, Lord, yes. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, I, all those, like, find their way in. You know what I mean? If people knew how much we listen to Enya in my house, they might be surprised, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for the soundtrack, you know? Right. Um, and that's just been a constant throughout life. And when I, when I can't find it, or when I'm just sitting down to play, I'm also searching for the personal soundtrack. You know, that's where a lot of my songs come from. We're like, man, I'm, 
where's the soundtrack to this moment in my life? And that's what sort of what music is to me, both in lyric and sound, is searching for ways to attach meaning to what I'm going through, you know? Yeah, so. and that's the, the, that mystery of, of searching for that, um, that means to help express where you're at. And I think a lot of us feel that as well as we, whether we're leading worship or for those who are preaching or those who are teaching their children, it's just, we're trying to find that mysterious thing to be able to connect with where we're at. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's uh, wonderful to hear that. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you have faced um, throughout your career? Um, maybe like one or two that you feel yeah. sharing. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with one and it'll probably take up the whole question. Um, again, as I say, like unlearning things, you know. Um, even with this conference, like, you know, I'm, I got booked to come, and it's like, oh, I love Sandra and her husband. Yeah, great. I'd love to be part of that. But honestly, I didn't know the conference I was coming into. And I'm like, oh, it's all about rest. Okay. Like, that's been the pursuit of the last four or five years of my life, you know? Um, I think early on, once again, you, you referenced love and war and the sea in between, which for me, like, I'm a bedroom recording artist, you know? There's always been just enough interest and just enough opportunity to provide for me and my family, whatever step of the road we're at. I currently have like five kids and I support our family with music, you know? And I think there was a bit of a fear almost when there was this mushroom growth of listenership all of a sudden more people are coming to shows and I'm bringing people on staff and there's an expectation and you're sort of like not realizing but wondering like when's the other foot going to drop? Does this depend on me? Like how hard do I have to work to maintain this? How much of this is just, do I just accept as it is and live into it? But it was unfamiliar. I remember the feeling of like, gosh, I've learned how to thrive in obscurity and in the desert now it's this season of sort of like harvest, if you will, and not knowing how to navigate that and feeling like, oh man, now all of this is on my shoulders, you know? Um, and praying, me and my wife for years, you know, as it seemed like, gosh, we're having more kids and there's more responsibility and there's these awesome opportunities and these new people in our life and we would pray like, Lord, give us like more capacity so that we can do the things that are in front of us and so we can be more efficient with our time and we like empower us, you know, almost like make us superhuman, Lord, to do the things that you've given us to do and realizing in hindsight, you know, he's a, he's a good God. So he wasn't like, you fool. And just like, <laughs> like taking his presence away from you. You know, he's not like that. He's like, oh, you know, he's probably like, I love that you're zealous. That's so sweet, you know? <laughs> But like years of that, burning my candle at both ends of the wick and like started to pay for it and like health-wise and I didn't know what like anxiety was because I didn't consider myself an anxious person. I tend to be like pretty easygoing, but that doesn't mean I'm not carrying a huge amount of anxiety and stress and fear and positioning and you know what I mean? Like, and it it took its toll. And so I've been in four or five years of the Lord showing me, showing me, showing me like the word that comes to mind and even what David Kim was talking about is like entering into the word that has been just so meaningful to me is just being like yoked to the Lord. And I think that's what I'm learning and that's been the hardest lesson is, 
you know, you guys know this teaching, but when you have, when you yoke a young, immature bull or cow or ox to like one that's mature, you can't, the younger one can't pull ahead. It can't get off the trail. They just have to go the pace that the old ox is going. And to be yoked to the Lord, I've realized he goes a lot slower than I go, like a ton slower, yeah. <laughs> a lot slower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just realizing how fast and hard I'd been pushing, mostly in fear of like, if I stop, if I take my foot off the gas, does the inertia of all this good stuff just go boo? And then the rest of your life, you're just looking back like, that was a really fun three years of life, but now, you know? So I think that for me, it's a long period of just, I think maybe a lot of striving, good stuff in there, you know? I'm not embarrassed about the work that was created. I was learning things, he was with me. But man, probably a lot of unnecessary activity stemming out of fear, saying yes to things I didn't need to say yes to for fear that that opportunity wouldn't come again or that, you know, yeah. there, yeah. That's, that's my answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> so this last year, you've taken a break yeah. f- fully from music, or at least as I, as I understand it. Um, did you have a goal for, in taking that break? Like, did you, during that time? No, no. No, you just had to stop. No, I feel like the Lord had already put his finger on this thing that I'm describing to you, you know? So what had been happening leading up even to before the pandemic started was him like, the first thing he put his finger on was like touring. So last night I did my first ticketed show in like 32 months. But the first thing he put his finger on pre-pandemic was like touring. So I started limiting how much I was coming and going because I've realized like, I don't transition easy. If I'm coming and going even once or twice a month, it's almost like days of preparation to go do the thing. And it might only be three days I'm gone, but it's like a week that I'm home, like finding my way back into my normal rhythm. And there's a narrative with God actually, like he'd been speaking and leading my heart in directions. Then you go do this thing that you said yes to without asking, should I do this? And then you come back and it's a week of me going, where were we? Where were we? what was so important last week? You know what I mean? Like, and realize that happened in enough times that you sit down with your wife. She's like, you know, like you've said the same thing about eight times this year. And I'm like, oh, you know. So we've been limiting my travel and I just felt like there was this governor to the point that a year into the pandemic, we bought a farm and I just knew like, I'm gonna take a sabbatical, like full stop music for a year, no social media, no projects, no interviews, nothing, you know. Um, but he'd led me. It was a long road of like limiting, limiting, limiting to the point where I knew I was comfortable to just do a, a full stop. Um, so in some ways that was just obedience. And I will say like it took six months just to understand why I was even asked to do it. So talk about a slow learner. Six, halfway through a year, which is a pretty long time, you know, I'm like then just coming to the point where maybe my heart's settling down. You know, I'm reaching that new rhythm of like, oh, like, okay, like this is who I am when I'm not a musician, when I'm not putting this perception out into the world and basing worth on how am I perceived, how am I, you know what I mean? The whole thing, it took a lot of detoxing, man. And so I think that was, a lot happened in the time, but that was the first moment where I realized, oh, this is what's happening. I'm like detoxing. I'm finding out who I am apart from this vocation I've had for like 17 years or something, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So do you have a sense um, 
for how your art is going to change and evolve from having taken this time away? A little bit, not totally. Yeah. It's sort of happening in real time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say, like, within the pandemic, or within the sabbatical, forgive me, um, near the end, I felt like I was finally, like, like, making headway in this sort of new rhythm. And I'd, I'd never been, like, mentored or even had therapy or a counselor. And I just happened into a relationship with John Eldridge of Wild at Heart. I went to one of his conferences almost at the end of my sabbatical. And we were able to kind of, like, start a friendship slash mentorship from a distance. And through him, like, a lot of things called out and brought forth that I didn't realize needed healing, you know. So this inner healing that had been long overdue is taking place. And I think at the end of it, for the first time in my life, I actually held music, which I love. And I've always thought, I'm going to do this the rest of my life, man, as long as I can. I love this. It's what I do naturally. And I feel like I'm made to do it. But it was the first time I held it out and actually was willing to just walk away and say, I love this, but this doesn't, it doesn't mean I need to do this. It doesn't mean this needs to be my gainful employment or that I have to keep pouring over albums or taking shows. Like, I can set this down. And Lord, if you have other plans for my life, now's a point where I'm willing to like, I will like set it down, you know? And I'd never actually reached that point with music as a believer where like sort of, if it's your, your Isaac, you're like, I'm gonna kill it and I'll kill it. You know what I mean? Like you want, like I was sort of at that point, you know? And um, he let me know in his own way. You know, as I came out of the sabbatical and there was a few months where I was like, I don't know, do I re-engage with this? Like, I don't know. He let me know in his own way, like, yes, like, I've given this to you to do. And I was like, okay, I can do it with a good conscience. But I think as far as how I do it in the future, like, I can't go back to how I was doing it in my 30s. And I knew even heading into pandemic and sabbatical, I was like, I love music, but I can't do that anymore. If doing it looks like that, I'm, I, I'm actually done. I'm done, you know? So however it looks, it's not going to look that way, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to hearing um, what comes out of this next season for you creatively. Thanks, man. Um, for a closing question, you're, you're in front of a room of <clears throat> leaders in local churches, whether that's musicians or pastors or spouses. Um, what would you say to us that we could do better for encouraging and cultivating the artist and arts within the church, but also um, for um, God's kingdom? Let me think for a moment, man. I hit the softballs and now... Uh... <laughs> So there were two questions there, for the artist or just in general? Yeah, I think for art, for the artist, but also for, um, yeah, probably more so for the, for the artist. How, how can churches, or maybe what have you seen churches do well to encourage artists? Um, whether that's for you or for friends of yours that have been in church situations, that's been a good situation for them as an artist. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good question because it's, there's the side of making art, and I'm here in Nashville, so this is fully understood there, which there's always going to be this side, 
That's like, but can I raise a family doing this? You know? So that's a real thing. Anyone I kind of like take on in any type of like mentorship, there's like spiritual formation, there's the craft, and then there's the practicality of like, you could have someone who has great spiritual formation, great craft, but just no one seems to come to the show or, you know, it might, it might not be financially viable. So I often see things in those sort of three pots that should all work together. Again, like spiritual formation, which means actual discipleship. Like musicians need discipleship, especially if you're in a city like this or when I was in Portland, we had like three or four sets of like all-star musicians that would sit in on worship. You'd never have the same group. And these are guys like touring with bands that some of you would know that are believers, but they're like off tour and they'd come and sit in. And so like vibey, cool worship. But as I was in there, I realized like, oh man, there's like no discipleship here, you know, none, you know. These guys are coming and going all the time, very disconnected, no community. Um, And just their walk, like, dude, they need discipleship, you know. These guys need people in their life to show them, like, yes, you can make me, how do you walk with Jesus while you do this, you know. So depending on the church, not always a lot of discipleship for, like, vocational artists, you know. Um, Then you have the craft of, you know, that, I don't know that maybe that's something the church steps in on, applauds good craft and excellence. I know, like, Presbyterian Church seems to do that well. You know, there are other organizations that, seek out like encouraging good craft, giving grants, you know, like Isaac, bringing people together to do things that are larger than one individual. That's awesome, you know? Um, But then there is that squirrely one, which is finances. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think for people in ministry and entrepreneurs and musicians, there's always that interplay of like those three things. Like I feel called to this. I think God's given me aptitude, capacity to do this. Can I make a living, you know? And that probably takes discipleship too, someone who can help someone through that, you know? Realistic expectations. When is it time to go full-time? When do you like realistically need to say, hey, you probably need like part-time or full-time job and this is gonna have to fill the margins for a while until it's sort of like practically obvious that you're gonna step into this full-time, you know? I don't know, does that help at all? No, that's... okay. um, that's great. Okay. Uh, um, so, well, I could ask you a lot more questions, but uh, I know that we got to get on with our night. Um, so, everybody uh, in, in, your, in the room, hold up your lanyard. This is your ticket to get in tonight. So, don't forget it. Don't give it to someone else unless they have like a 50 note um, along with it. Um, so, Josh, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to get to hear you and get to meet you. Uh, thank you for the conversation. Thanks, man. It was yeah. good to uh, meet you guys. I'll see you tonight.